Hello, everyone. Welcome to New Beginnings Midweek Bible Study. I'm Pastor Joe Source. I want to share some things with you tonight in the form of a teaching. What I'd like to do is kind of give you some context to this message. I came to the Lord Jesus Christ in 1984. At this point, the time of this recording, that's about 36 years ago. I am so grateful to the Lord. I am so thankful that without my knowledge, without knowing where I was going, he led me to a church where the emphasis was on the word of God. We lived, we breathed, we walked, we talked. Everything was the word of God. I don't mean that in a legalistic sense. I mean that in the sense of holding the scriptures in a place of reverence, with a sense of awe, with an understanding that God has watched over these words <clears throat> for thousands of years to make sure that you and I would have the opportunity to receive a revelation of who he is, who the Lord Jesus Christ is to us, who the Holy Spirit would be to us. Without the word of God, we would be walking in darkness and walking in ignorance. Even some Christians today, thoroughly born again, their spirit is alive unto God, the Holy Spirit lives in them, but because of the fact that they never bothered to become students of the word, they still walk in ignorance and still at times walk in darkness because God reveals his will to us through his word. Now, God in his mercy has made sure that these words that he spoke to the prophets of old would be maintained intact for us today. And when we understand that the word of God is the will of God, then we understand the importance of the Bible because it is God's I heard somebody put it this way. The Bible is God's love letter to us. Jesus said this as recorded for us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The word of God is eternal. It is just as relevant today as it was the first time a prophet of God took a quill in hand and wrote down the message he received from the Holy Spirit. Pertaining to the importance of the Word of God to man, the relationship between God and man, Jesus said this, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth or proceeds from the mouth of God. That's in Luke chapter 4, verse 4. In John 17, Jesus prayed a prayer, and in that prayer he said, Father, thy word is truth. So here's what I want to present tonight. The Word of God must be front and center in our lives. It has got to be the thing that your life and my life is based upon, founded upon. Your worldview has got to be based upon the Word of God, not man's philosophy, not our opinions, but the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Why is this so important? Why is that the big question? Why is the Word of God so important to us? Well, here's the concept I want to I want to express to you. Really, I should say the truth that I want to bring to you tonight. The Word of God is vital to our lives because sometimes in life, all you're going to have is the Word. That's all you're going to have to hold on to. Been through plenty of seasons in life when all I've had to hold on to was the Word. The circumstance wasn't lining up. My feelings were not lining up. Things were not going the way I expected them to go. But I had the word of God to hold on to. And that is what I want to firmly implant into your hearts tonight. 
And I pray that you'll listen to this message over and over again so that it gets deeply rooted and begins to bear fruit in your life. In Luke chapter 16, we have a story. It's not a parable. It's not an illustration. It is an actual fact that these events took place. Jesus, by the Spirit, became very much aware of something that was taking place in the realm of the Spirit. Not seen with human eyes, but perceived by the gifts of the Spirit operating in Jesus' life. He was able to understand and to see and to get a picture of something that was taking place in the realm of the Spirit, unseen by human eyes. And I want you to grab that. I want you to grasp the reality of this because this is going to be a very familiar story to you. Luke 16, 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with some of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22 goes on. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Get that picture. This beggar, Lazarus, a man full of sores, dies. And the angels come to escort him to the place that we call paradise. The rich man also died and was buried. Look at the difference. The rich man who lived a life of ease on the earth dies, is buried. Lazarus is carried by the angels. Verse 23 now refers to the rich man. And being tormented in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, Lazarus in his presence. Then he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who are, want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now, I want you to notice some things. Jesus is giving us a picture of the afterlife. Now, remember, this is Old Testament. Most say, well, pastor, this is in the Gospels. Yes, but up until the point that Jesus died on the cross and said, it is finished, it is complete, that is still considered Old Testament. Jesus is operating under the confines of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when a person died, before Jesus went to the cross and gave his life, rose from the dead, a person who died before that time went to a place where the Bible refers to here in this, in this, in this uh, portion of Scripture, Abraham's bosom, which is paradise. It also talks about a place called Hades, a place of torment, a place of fire, a place of flame. Very unpleasant, not a place that you and I want to go to, especially for all of eternity. Now, to give you some understanding, paradise is no longer occupied. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, it said he stopped off at this place called paradise, emptied it out, took all those individuals, all the saints of God from the Old Testament times, those who had put their faith in Christ who would come, Abraham, David, 
Daniel, all the Old Testament saints, and carried them and brought them into heaven. However, Hades is still in operation. And Hades will be in operation until Jesus cast Satan into the lake of fire. And at that point, Hades will be emptied out into the lake of fire. And at that point, you will have the lake of fire full of eternity and heaven for all of eternity. But up until this point in time, even to this day, Hades is still in operation. That rich man is still waiting for a drop of water, tormented in the flames. Remember, this is an actual event. It's not a made-up story. Notice also that the rich man was conscious. He had emotions. He had memory very much aware of his condition, very much aware of his pain and his suffering. He's, he's able to recognize Abraham who would have lived 2,000 years previous to his time. Yet he knew who Abraham was. He recognized Lazarus, one of his contemporaries while he was still alive here. What's your point, Pastor? My point is this. We're going to be very much conscious of our surroundings for all of eternity. The person that, that refuses and rejects Jesus Christ condemns himself to a place of torment. The person does not extinguish upon arrival there. It is eternal punishment, eternal damnation. It's not something to be toyed with. Every person in hell is very much aware where they are. Every person in heaven is very much aware where they are. Every much aware of the people that are around them. I don't want to make this a teaching about hell, but you can't go through this with a good conscience and not make these notes. So let's, let, let's continue. Verse 27 of Luke 16. The rich man speaking. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, he's talking to Abraham, that you would send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Verse 29, here's the, the, the foundation of this teaching. Abraham says to Lazarus, they have Moses, excuse me, Abraham says to the rich man, who's just made a request to have Lazarus raised from the dead, go speak to his brothers so that they don't end up in hell, in Hades. Abraham's response to him is startling. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Did you grasp that? They have Moses and the prophets. We would say today, they have the Bible. Let them hear the Bible. Verse 30, but he, the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he, Abraham said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. This is an amazing revelation here. See, the rich man wanted his brothers to have an experience. They wanted, he wanted his brothers to have an, a supernatural, emotional experience. He thought, wow, if they were to see someone come back from the dead, especially someone that they knew in their life, they would be astonished and listen to everything that resurrected person would have to say. God's plan was and is that the brothers would believe what, they, what was already provided for them in his word. Why? 
because emotions wear off. When the reality of the emotions, the supernatural experience wears off, then the reality of our faith comes into question. How many people make deals with God in the middle of a crisis in fear of repercussions for their, their actions? But then once the crisis passes, when the fear is gone, the deal is off and they walk away. I've seen this happen multiple, multiple more times than I care to remember in 36 years as a Christian. People coming to Christ, shedding tears, emotional, so glad that the Jesus has received them uh, as, a, as a son and daughter of God. And then a week or two later, when the crisis dissipates, when the fear lifts, when the repercussion of the con- and the consequences fail to, um, fail to manifest themselves, all of a sudden this appreciation for God, appreciation for our Savior disappears. Why? Because it wasn't, the decision wasn't founded on the word. The decision was based on an emotional experience. I found out something in 36 years of being a Christian. God wants us to take him at his word. Why is that important? Because the very first lie that was presented to man about God is that his word cannot be trusted. Think about that. I'm going to say it again. The very first lie that was ever presented to mankind about God was an accusation against God that his word was not true. Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What just happened here? What just took place in this conversation? Satan accused God of not being truthful with Adam and Eve. And they believed what Satan said instead of God. Adam originally had received the command not to eat of the tree the knowledge of good and evil, from the day that you do, you shall surely die. And this was so catastrophic because believing the lie of the enemy over God had the consequence and resulted in their disconnecting from God's words and connecting to Satan's words. This is why it's so important for you and I to know the Bible, to know the scriptures. I'm going to say that again. This event in man's history is so catastrophic because they believing the lie of the enemy, disconnected themselves from God's words and connected themselves to Satan's words. The result, man became separated from eternal life. The life of God that had been breathed into them, they now became unaware of it. It was as if it never happened. And they connected to eternal death and Satan, which is spiritual death. So let me, let, me, let, me, let me put that together for you. When they believed the lie, when they believed the words of Satan, they disconnected themselves from the words of God, which are words of life, words of peace, words of salvation, words of wholeness. 
and they connected themselves to the words of Satan, which are words that produce fear, intimidation, insecurity, anxiety, brokenness. It was the words that separated us from God. Now watch this. And it is our words that reconnect us to God. It was words that separated us from God. And God's plan is that it would be words that would reconnect us to God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, God's word should have been enough for Adam and Eve. It should have been a done deal. It should have been settled forever. But they believed the words of Satan over and above the words of God. That, my friend, is spiritual warfare. Paul tells us in the letters he wrote to, to the church in Corinth that we're not supposed to exalt our words, the enemy's words, over and above our knowledge of God. That you and I have been given authority that when words come towards us and try to penetrate through our ear gate, through our eye gate, trying to get into our soul, trying to get into our soul, that we are to resist those words that are contrary to the will of God. But how are you going to know that if you don't know the will of God? How are you going to know the words that are coming towards you, whether they're from God or from the enemy, if you're not familiar with God's words? That's why it's so extremely, extremely important that you make God's word enough for you. That it's not a matter of debate. It's not a matter of, of discussion about what do you think and what do you think. No, the word says what it says. It means what it says. And the Bible always interprets itself. God has not made it hard for us to know him. He has made it extremely easy for us to know him. And I hope you take that to heart. Let me show you an illustration of this in the New Testament. In the Gospels, Mark chapter 8. Now, when Jesus had, verse 5, when Jesus had come, entered into Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman official, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus is thinking, okay, this is just another person who wants me to come and take care of a situation, to raise up this servant, heal him. And as it was very much uh, practice with him. He would go to the person, in person, lay hands on them, transfer the power of God, and see the person healed. But something different is going to happen in this story. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worried that you should come under my roof. Watch this now. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus has been looking for people like this in his entire ministry. I can almost see Jesus saying, wait, wait, could, could you say that again? The centurion answered and said, Lord, now the centurion, this is a, a military official. This isn't a politician. This isn't a Roman businessman. This is a man in charge of soldiers. And he's humbled himself to reach out to Jesus 
a Jew who they despised. They were trained to despise the Jews. He reaches out to Jesus. My servant's tormented. I'll come and heal him. You don't need to come under my roof. All you need to do is speak a word and my servant will be healed. And then he goes on to explain the context of his decision. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, when Jesus understood that this man was willing to take him at his word, and that this man understood authority, the Bible tells us he marveled. Marveled. You would have seen it on, you would have seen the astonishment on Jesus' face. He marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a good thing. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, <laughs> so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. What happened here? Here was a man, not a Jew, not raised to believe in the word of God, but somehow he heard about this Jesus. Somehow he heard about the authority that he operated in. Somehow he heard that the son of the living God was now on earth. And sickness could not stand in his presence. And he knew, all I need to do is to have this man speak a word. That's all it's going to take. I trust him. I've heard about what he's done. Who knows? He might have been an eyewitness to some of the miracles of Jesus. But then he would have heard the word about Jesus. And it was a hearing about Jesus and what Jesus was teaching that caused faith to rise up in this man's heart, to come to the conclusion, you don't have to come to my house. I don't have to have an emotional experience. I don't need you to do something supernatural to prove to me who you are. I already believe who you are. Now I will see a supernatural event. This is awesome. Jesus said, this man is not even a descendant of Abraham. Yet he has more faith than the children of Abraham. Why? He was willing to take Jesus at his word. The word of God is more than enough for the people of God. God God's word is more than enough for us to live our lives to the glory of God. The Father speaks to us by means of the Spirit. It is spoken to us through his Son. The question is whether we will open our Bibles and bother to listen. No one can say that God has not revealed enough for us to be saved or to live a life that's pleasing to him. Scripture makes us completely competent and equips us for every good work. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable. It will produce results. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction and instruction. It'll teach us but it'll also correct us. It'll teach us, but it'll also train us. It'll teach us, it'll also reprimand us when we need to be reprimanded, as any good father would train his children. 
The word is enough to carry us into the plan of God for our life. How we respond will determine whether we fulfill the plan or not. I hope you're getting this. I hope you're getting this. In Luke chapter 2, we have another illustration, a demonstration of exactly what we're talking about. I hope you're getting this tonight. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed, that we would say today engaged, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. He's a descendant of King David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. What's the angel doing? Gabriel is, is, is bringing to Mary, is revealing to Mary God's words. Okay? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son and shall call his name Jesus. Yeshua. Salvation. He will be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She said, I'm a virgin. How is this possible? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is in you, who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, what, what happened here? Mary has taken in all this information. She has taken in all the revealed word of God, the revealed plan of God, the revealed desire of God, the revealed strategy of God. But we're going to see that God can reveal all these things to us. But it's up to us to activate them. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Why did the angel depart from her? Because he accomplished his mission. His mission was to bring the word of God, the promise of God, the revelation of God to this young girl. I don't know that this could be fact or not. I really don't. But what if it was possible that this angel, this isn't the first young lady he's appeared to? I wonder if it's possible that there might have been others that the angel went to, but were not willing, didn't believe it, did not put any stock into the word that this angel brought. Not suggesting it's 100% true. But if Mary had to say yes, then it's possible somebody else could have said no. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. What is she saying? I'm transformed now because I believe your word. Behold the maidservant. Behold the servant of God. Behold the one who is submitted to God. Behold the one who is subject to God's word. Let it be to me according to your word. Angel disappears. 
We say yes. When we say yes to the word of God, our yes, listen closely, our yes activates the plan. Mary basically was saying to Gabriel, your word is enough for me. She's saying to God who sent this messenger, your word is enough to me. Is God's word enough for you? Or do you need an emotional experience? Do you need a sign? Do you have to have six black cats cross your path before you're going to believe something? Do you have to have feelings? Do you have to have goosebumps? Do you have to have chills? Many times, months after a, a new believer has that initial experience of receiving Christ filled with the Holy Spirit, a very supernatural thing takes place. Maybe a few months down the road, they're not experiencing the chills and the goosebumps anymore. They're not getting the feeling of the presence of God and they begin to doubt in their heart their initial experience. Now, the fact is, God doesn't need to do flips for us in order for us to take him seriously. No. Our greatest act of respect is to take God at his word and act like it is true because it is. We don't need the goosebumps. We don't need the chills. I don't need to feel. It's nice when it happens. But we should get to the point where we don't need the feelings. We go by the word. Based on his faithfulness. Based on his track record. He says what he means and he means what he says. If he said he's going to do it, then it surely is going to come to pass. Remember that story of Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus is telling us that God expects the word of God to be enough for us to receive salvation, to receive our healing, to receive direction, to receive peace and wholeness, to receive whatever you need from God. His word should be enough for us. For those of you that are watching this that may have not yet experienced salvation, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, maybe you're watching, maybe you come to church, maybe you go to another church. And, you know, you believe, but you've never come to that place yet of sealing that decision in your heart. And we're told by the scriptures, which I read before in Romans chapter 10, that if we will confess, what does it mean to confess? It means to speak. We could say it this way. If we will declare with our mouths what we already believe in our heart about the Lord Jesus, that he is the son of God, that he did go to the cross to die for our sins, that God raised him from the dead so that you and I could experience eternal life. When we believe those things in our heart and then we declare them with our mouth, you see, because it was words that separated us from God, it is now words that reconnect us with God. And so when you declare with your mouth, with your words, we, sell, we tell little children, use your words, honey. When you use your words to declare what's existing already in your heart, it activates the gift of grace and salvation. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you've never received Christ, if you've never come to him with a heart of, uh, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for the way I've been living my life. For, forgive me for living my life far from you. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised from the dead and that you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Just say a simple prayer like that. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. 
I receive you as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I'm so glad that God raised you from the dead because in you, I have hope of eternal life. Thank you for making me a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, those of you that are believers, those of you that have a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ already, in other words, you are already what the Bible calls born again. Your spirit is alive unto God. I want to pray a prayer for, for us that we would continue to allow the Word of God to be enough for us. We don't need signs. We don't need supernatural activity. We trust God before we see the miracle. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every single one of us, God, especially for those who have kind of fallen away from that sense of awe of the Word of God, that have fallen away of that sense of reverence for the Word of God. I pray, God, that it would be fresh to us once again. I pray that when we sit down with our Bibles, God, when we hear the Scriptures, when we read the Scriptures, it's going to be alive and fresh, just as if it was the first time we heard it, Lord. And Father, we want to honor you with our faith. And so we say, your Word is enough for us. Your Word is enough for me. Your Word, God, is your will. And I thank you that your will for me is that I would prosper and be in health even as my soul prospers. Thank you, God. Your word is enough for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I pray that this teaching has been a blessing to you. I pray that you'd share this with other believers. Share it with those who don't know Jesus yet. And I believe that the power of the word that we are trusting in is going to go in and change people's lives. God bless you. 